Valentine's Day is this Tuesday. Did you know that? You can get your inner pagan and Catholic on this Tuesday if you're ready. The day where if you don't show your significant other that you love them by spending money on them, then you must not really love that person, do you? And of course, the amount goes up, the more love, right? Let me give you some, oh, suckers. An estimated one billion Valentine cards will be exchanged on Tuesday. About 35 million boxes of chocolate will be bought and presented. Approximately 189 million stems of roses will be sold. Of course, this Tuesday, approximately 220,000 wedding proposals will take place around this holiday. All in all, this is from 2016 stat, $19.7 billion will be spent around Valentine's Day. $19.7 billion. Why? Because of the perception and that's what love is. By so many. Now this morning... I'm not going to talk about the history of Valentine. It's actually a pretty interesting history. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the biblical concept of love as best I can. I mean, this topic is immense. It is deep. It's so beyond the Valentine's Day perceived notion of love that one sermon, no way one sermon can even do it justice. And conveying what biblical love truly is. I mean, for example, you think about several, there's all kinds of passages. This passage here says, love your enemies. This passage says the love must be sincere. This passage says the love does no harm to a neighbor. This passage says that we are to bear with one another, put up with one another. Why? Because of love. This passage states that above all kinds of Christian characteristics, love deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. If you were to look at this passage, I love this passage, 1 John. John says love drives out fear, gets rid of fear. We wear love, Paul told the Colossians. We wear love because it brings unity. Love is eternal. Love is forever. Love will never fail, Paul told the church at Corinth. When we think about these passages, and we think about what love is, and all of these could be a sermon in and of itself. What we're going to do, though, is, is concentrate on the passage and, other, and the passages after that that Marty read to try to get some concept of Loving God and loving our neighbor. It's going to be our lesson for today. But before we go on, can we have a word of prayer? Holy and righteous Heavenly Father, you are reverend above all, and I'm thankful, Father, for the opportunity to stand here and present your word. Thankful that you've given us your word in written form. Thankful, Father, that we can read it and study it 
And if applied, know our sins are forgiven and heaven awaits. Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with me as I present this lesson about love. Be with my mind, be with my tongue, make sure I say the right things, Father. Father, I also pray for those who are listening, they'll be receptive in their hearts. And if need be, um, let it prick their hearts to make changes, as it's done in mine. I love you, Father, for this opportunity to worship you. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Great seeing everybody. Love being here. Appreciate that Tony's sick and the elders gave me like a few hours to get this together. Now, uh, Tony, you know I'm joking. No, I do appreciate the, uh, the uh, uh, trust that they have in me. In Luke chapter 10, as Marty read from, Jesus is asked by a lawyer what he should do to inherit eternal life. And he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, There's a sister passage in Matthew's account. Matthew talks about this. And Jesus is asked the question, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus basically gave the same answer as the lawyer in our text. Love God, love your neighbor. He then states, at least in the Matthew text, he states that all the law hangs on these two commandments, to love God, and to love your neighbor. This means that God, or that love for God, and our neighbor is the foundation of a lot of things, especially some responsibility on our part, some moral responsibilities. If the whole law hangs on these two commandments, then if I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind, I will never take God's name in vain. I will never place anything above God in my affections. I will remember and know what I should be doing during worship right now on the Lord's day. And if I love my neighbor as myself, I will not lie to you. I will not steal from you. I will not cheat you. I will not violate my nor your marriage. I will not dwell on good fortune, good fortunes of you wishing they were mine. I'm confident our society is not ignorant of this truth. And they know it. But rather chooses to ignore how God views love, which is to love him and to love our neighbor. Let's get into our text as we look at this first section, to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our our strength, and all our mind. God is someone we worship, and God is someone we serve. That's all biblical things. He's also, though, God is someone we also know. Meaning, there's a relationship there. We have a relationship, at least we can have a relationship, with Him. He has shared His life with us through His Son. We love Him, yes, because He first loved us, but we also love Him because we know Him. Now, to begin with, I am to love God with all my heart. 
What does this mean? Well, with the heart, to me, sort of signifies emotion. It's an emotional attachment to God. You know, there are times when we may laugh with God. You ever thought about that? I mean, come on, giraffes? Giraffes? They're funny. There are times we cry before God. Past Thursday was tough for the Smith family. As for some other families here, death is always hard. There are times we shout with joy before Him when somebody is converted to Jesus and, and, and repents of their sins and is baptized for the remission of their sins. There's an emotional attachment to love God with all my heart, with my heart. Now, I want to ask you a question. Has your relationship with God become a routine? Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but routines tend to put us in ruts. In your, For example, in your private life, in your private prayer, are, are, are we praying as we should? Are you praying as you should? Is it the same prayer over and over and over again? Just rote memorization? Or is there an emotional attachment toward talking to your father? Or what about what we're doing right now? Public worship. Is there an emotional attachment to your father, to our father right now? Do you ever get emotional in worship? When somebody reads a passage or maybe a certain song is saying and you're attached to it, how can we not get emotional remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ? And we worship leaders. Should we not have a little emotion about ourselves when we're up here? We're reading God's Word. We're singing praises. We're remembering. We're leading the congregation. Are we just going through the routine? I'm going to love God with my heart, with all my heart. There's some exclusiveness about this. You know, I have affections that are exclusively for my wife, for Charlotte, and no other woman. And I have affections for Taryn, Emma, and Tyler. It's just special. Um... He's not here yet, but I feel it in my bones. I want to have a little special affection for a little guy coming in about a couple of weeks, maybe. I have affections exclusively for the youth group here at Bobby Branch, and I'll throw the alumni in there and leave them hanging. Not that I don't love others. I love hanging out with Josh Pierce and the Central Kids. I know a bunch of them. But it's exclusively right here that I have that relationship. But now I ask you, loving God with all my heart means I have affections that are exclusively for Him and Him only. And they supersede all other affections. I am to love God with all my heart. I love God with all my soul. All my soul. Now, when I think about that, I think about a certain uh, identification. My soul signifies identity. Who I am really. 
Okay? Not this and all of this. The inside. Who am I really? My innermost being. My temperaments. My likes. My dislikes. My fears. My anxieties. All these things are expressions of my soul. And all these things, if I love God with my soul, are to be in harmony with Him. But I'm to love God with all my soul. And I think there was a certain intimacy with God. You know, we communicate on different levels, don't we? I don't, or I won't, reveal my soul to a total stranger. Like I will somebody very close to me. I am more intimate with the people that I really, really know. If I love God with all my soul, then this is on a very personal and deep, intimate level. Nothing is to be held back. We don't wear a mask. We don't put on a facade or play a part as we play a role around our deepest and closest people in our lives, family and friends. There's an honesty with those we are most intimate with. Well, if I love God with all my soul, God wants to change our lives. But that change will not happen until we come to terms with who we are on the inside that the spiritual mirror can see. Who I am. If, if we are bitter on the inside, God can cleanse it. If we are lustful on the inside, God can cleanse it. If we are greedy on the inside, God can cleanse it. If we hurt or are depressed on the inside, God can cleanse it. God can. If we are willing to be honest with who we really are and allow God to change us. I am to love God with all my soul. I'm also to love God with all my strength. And when I think of this passage, loving God with all my strength, I think of the word expressive or expressiveness. Love makes me want to do something which may require the greatest strength that I have. Sometimes it takes to express, it takes strength to become a Christian. Because there's certain things you may have to give up. No, not may. There's certain things you're going to have to give up. Whether it's things or whether it's people. To become, that takes some strength. There may be times it takes strength to evangelize our friends and family. Maybe it's a time to stand up and just do what is right. Strength expresses itself when I am practicing my faith, not just thinking about my faith. It has to be expressed. God expressed His love. How much did God express His love? This much? This much? Did God express His love this much? How about this much? Did God express His love this much? No. Did God express His love this much? No. 
God expressed his love this much. That's how much he loved. Jesus expressed strength by not fighting back and thus fulfilling God's will. So to have this strength and to be able to express it, all my strength is going to take experience. The strongest people, at least I know, in any field gain strength through experience. Experience breeds confidence, which breeds strength. To say I love God with all my strengths means I'm experiencing the Christian life. I'm experiencing it. I'm in the game and I'm playing in the game, if I may use that analogy. So for that to happen, I have to get off the sidelines, meaning I have to be converted. If I'm going to say I love God with all my strength and I'm not a Christian, it's not the truth. And if, I'm, and, and if I'm to say I love God with all my strength and, I, and I'm not participating, I'm just sitting on the sidelines, I'm not experiencing the spiritual life, then I'm not being honest with myself. I am to love God with all my strength. I'm also to love God with all my mind. All my mind. When I think of the mind, I think about being educated. There was a phrase a long time ago, from an organization, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Anybody remember that phrase? About a thousand years ago, I think. The more education one has, the better opportunities you're going to have in life. That's just a fact. To love God with my mind means to be educated. What am I educated in? His Word. The Word of God. With the Word of God, I am educated and know how to become a Christian. Through the Word of God, I educate myself, or I am educated, and I know how to live as a Christian. Through the Word of God, I'm educated about His message, and I need to get that message to my friends, to my family, and to strangers even. Through the Word of God, I'm educated in truth. I learn what is evil. I learn what is righteous. I become educated through His Word. But I'm to love God with all my mind. I didn't want to use the word extreme. With all my mind signifies to avoid extremes. You know, I began by talking about we're to love God with all our hearts. And it's an emotional attachment, at least it should be. But emotions are an important part Yes, of serving God. But it has to be tempered or balanced with truth. If all I'm doing is serving with emotion, with my feelings, I'm going to do something wrong. It has, my emotions have to be guided by the truth. There has to be a balance. The word of God, the truth of the word, governs our lives. Jesus cried. Jesus rebuked. Jesus got mad, but never allowed his emotions to push him over the line of God's will. Jesus is reminding us 
that we're to love God the same way He loves us. We must not respond to God's full love, His wholehearted love, in a half-hearted manner on our part. We are to love Him with all our hearts, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. Because until I can learn to love God wholeheartedly, how can I possibly learn to love my neighbor as myself? Which leads into our final thought this morning. The Good Samaritan, I meant to look this up, and I actually forgot to do it. But I'm sure there are polls and surveys you can get on. What would the most popular, I mean, if you just ask any Joe or Jane on the street, what's the most popular parable of Jesus? I dare say everybody's probably heard of the Good Samaritan. Wouldn't y'all think? Probably have. But before we read this parable, beginning in verse 29, Before we read this parable, I want to talk about the antithesis of the Good Samaritan. What I'm about to tell you is a true story. Some of you may remember this. As a matter of fact, one of the antagonists in this story was labeled the Bad Samaritan. Our story takes place in May 25th, 1997, In Las Vegas, two teenagers, one named David Cash, one named Jeremy Strawmeyer, were hanging out in a casino because Strawmeyer's dad had stopped off at the casino uh, to do some gambling. Also in the casino was a seven-year-old girl named Sharice Iverson. Her dad had also stopped. Actually, he got kicked out of another casino because he wasn't watching his kid. So he goes to this casino where Mr. Cass and Mr. Strahmeyer happened to be. The surveillance camera showed Sharice going into a bathroom at the casino and almost immediately shows Jeremy Strahmeyer follow her into that bathroom. A little bit later, David Cash follows By this time, Strahmeyer had Charisse in a bathroom stall, trapped. David Cash goes to an adjacent stall, looks over and sees Strahmeyer has one hand on Charisse's stomach, one hand on Charisse's mouth. The surveillance camera shows David Cash about two minutes after he entered leaving. The surveillance camera also shows Jeremy Strahmeyer about 25 minutes later coming back into the casino. Cherise never showed back up on the camera. In this audience with a little kid, I'm not going to tell you what all happened. You can get online and read about it. There was a 60 minutes thing. I watched the video last night. You can watch that if you want to. But among other things, he strangled her to death. Among the other things he did to that little girl. But now, here's what I want you to know. David Strahmeyer sent to jail for life. He, he, He escaped the death penalty. David Cash never went to jail. But almost immediately after this, he started giving interviews 
And here's what he said, and I quote verbatim. This is the guy at the top, the one who watched and then left. I'm not going to get upset over somebody else's life. I just worry about myself first. I'm not going to lose sleep over somebody else's problems. I have a lot of remorse toward the Irison family. It was a very tragic event. The simple fact remains, though, I don't know this little girl. I don't know people in Panama or Africa who are killed every day. So I can't feel remorse for them either. Verse 29 of Luke 10. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. And I'm sure before I even read this, if I was to ask you, you know, finish the phrase, love your neighbor, everybody in your mouth would say, as yourself. But what does this mean? The love my neighbor as myself means to understand my neighbor is anyone who needs help. The parable begins is just a certain man. That's all it says, a certain man. And we're given no personal information. We don't know his name. We don't know his standing in society. For all we know, he might have been a thief who fell victim among the thieves. We just don't know who he is. The only thing we know about him is that the hand life dealt him at that moment left him alone and in desperate need. Do you find yourself judging the worth of someone before you decide whether to help them or not? Do you only feel comfortable helping those who are just like you? Do you let the color of someone's skin determine if you will help or not? Does the length of some dude's hair or the style of clothing determine if you will love as you love yourself? If I were to put a picture of me up on the board in the 1980s, early 1980s, It's not a pretty picture. Long hair, straggly, had a car three colors of green, 
Drums in the back seat, the trunk. Passenger seat. Torn up clothes. Probably something hanging out of his mouth. Probably something in his hand. Would you love that guy as yourself? Would you have saw me as a neighbor? You know, somebody did. Thank God somebody did. My neighbor is anyone who needs help. Loving my neighbor also requires some affection. The priest looked on this victim with, a, with no lack of concern. The Levite looked upon the victim. It was a little curious, right? But went on. But the Samaritan looked at this person and cared and had compassion. The difference in the three men is that one had his feelings touched and did something. He felt something and then he did something about it. Well, what if that people takes advantage of my feelings and my doing and my kindness? What if they don't appreciate what I've done, what we do? Well, if I'm reading this parable right, it doesn't matter. Nowhere in this parable do we find out, or is it mentioned, that the victims sought out the Good Samaritan and said, Hey, man, I really appreciate what you did. Here's your money back. There's nothing in there about that. The Samaritan saw, felt, and did. Loving my neighbor requires affection. And also, loving my neighbor requires action. It's not enough just to be concerned. It's not enough just to feel compassion. We have to get involved. Investing time in people's lives. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love God until you first accept His love for you. And to accept God's love, according to the Bible anyway, is to do what God says. Jesus said, if you love me, what will you do, church? You'll keep my commandments. That's Jesus' words, not mine. If I love God, I'm going to do something. If I have a faith, if I mentally get the fact that there is, Je- that there is a God and Jesus is, his, Jesus is His Son, I'm going to do something with that faith. I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. How can we say we love God if we reject the love He has shown us in giving us His Son? God loved us to death. Have you ever used that phrase? I love you to death. I've said it. God proved it. God showed it. Because God loves me and loves you this much. That's how much He loves. Folks, I appreciate Leonard picking out the songs also in the last minute about love. I want you to listen to this song. I'm hoping that this lesson, as you think about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I hope you're asking 
a real question right now. Do I really? Do I? Do I have an emotional attachment to God? Am I expressing that? Am I growing strong? Is my inner being everything God wants it to be? Am I being educated? Have I educated myself? Do I love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? If you don't, the next part you can't do anyway. You can pretend. You can try. You can go through the motions. But first and foremost, do you love God with every ounce of your being? And if you don't, if you don't, If you don't, why don't you do something right now as we stand and sing?